Hello, friends, and welcome once again to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rupert. And my name is Steve McDonough. Once again, we are celebrating the food in our lives, its history, its heroes, and all of the glorious hoopla. Each episode, we feature a specific food or drink or an ingredient, and then we do a deep dive into its bubbly backstory, fermenting the facts until they're ready to be chilled down and served next to a plate of crispy schnitzel. And our topic today is one of my favorites, German beer. Is that your very favorite part of the entire (laughs) podcast is writing that little intro? I almost skipped it today, and I, I thought about doing like, uh, you know, being the full later hosen and having an oompa band in the back. But but no, I do enjoy being. Oh, my uh, God. I would. I in, If you had actually worn later hosen, I would have actually subscribed to this podcast. Damn it. I we could have had one more. Uh, but there's no there's no uh, visual cue here. So I didn't know how to audio represent later hosen. So we do have audio cues today, which is that my stomach will not stop <laughs> growling. And I don't think we're going to have any. I, I think that's, you know, we'll just use it as a as a, you know, symbol crash or something every time. I, You know what? You know, it's one of those things that I don't have a stomach and my stomach doesn't growl anymore. And I kind of missed that. It was nice to have a little audio cue every now and then that, hey, it's time to eat. So anyway. okay, now I now I feel bad. No, no, no. It wasn't. uh, No, no, no. no, Privileged white guy. (laughs) Stomached white guy. What you going to do? That's right. Maybe that's what I need a quiz. It's stump stump the stomach guy. We'll come up with a quiz from that. But anyway. (laughs) Uh, hey, but listen, before we get too deep into this, I, I had a I had a thought about this. My dad was always really good and my dad was from Germany and he was always really good about sort of doing one of those butterfly effect kind of a things like, you know, if it wasn't for this, you wouldn't be here. Right. If it wasn't for the Berlin Wall, you wouldn't be here. And so I started thinking about with German beer, like what a what a role it's played in my life. And I have so many anecdotes, but I started thinking about something that I'm sort of calling the big beer theory. And the big beer theory for me is kind of so my my dad was in uh, he was in East Germany. He sort of escaped. He didn't sort of escape. He escaped from East Germany and he went ended up going to hotel and catering school uh, in Bavaria. So basically a hospitality school. And at some point he was offered a job to come to Chicago uh, with the Four Seasons. And that's basically what got him from Germany. And at some point, I'm sure, you know, there was the the posting about the job opportunity and he thought this would be a good idea. But at some point there was a beer that he had that was enough liquid courage to kind of push him beyond the idea of maybe I should do this to damn it, I'm going to do this. And so I started thinking that there is this single big beer that he had that is solely responsible for me being my entire existence is probably based on that one big German beer that led to me. Does that make sense? It does. In Germany, uh, excuse me, in Chicago, you mean? Do you think yeah, yeah. That, that was a Chicago beer? Home? No, no, I think I mean, it could be. So, two, you know, there's, there's a couple of points there. It could be the one that gave him enough courage to take the job that flew him to Chicago. And it could be the one that, you know, gave him the courage to ask my mom out. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's so, yeah. it, you know, I just love the idea. Was he that, a big beer drinker, your dad? So he was not big, but yes, he drank more beer than water. And it was one of those things that was just ubiquitous in our household. I mean, and, and we'll what get to that. Drink? Um, so uh, in our house, we always had that. Uh, I'm not looking at that thing. It's called Weinstefan. It's the, the white beer. The yeah. Well, Isn't it an L at the end? I think it's Stefan. I think it's an L. Okay. But okay. I've got it in my we'll notes later on here. But uh, so if we, he would always drink, especially after work, like a refreshing a wheat beer, a vice beer, you know, so with I a lemon. A vice beer. Oh, me too. That's- Spoiler alert. Beer is my favorite liquid. Spoiler alert. And not because of the alcohol content. I, I just, God, I love beer. No, it's so refreshing. So refreshing. But, you know, do you remember Lowenbrow? Yeah. You know, that, so that yeah. was in the 70s, 80s. That was 
of the German beers that you could get for a restaurant, that was kind of one of the ones that we regularly had in at the Woodbridge Inn, our family's restaurant. So we always had Lohenbrau when I was a kid was always hanging around. So I don't know that that was one of his favorites, but it was it was always around. So but let's talk about beer. Now, we you know, you and I discussed, do we do just beer and beer is a giant topic? Way too big. Way too big. Way, and, it was, you know, we got to focus. It's, it's a yeah. huge topic. And then by the time we tried all of these said beers, we would be way too wasted to even have this uh, conversation. Speak uh, for yourself with your tiny stomach. Oh, listen, I missed that. I, you know, I having been raised on beer, I used to have a quite a high tolerance, but now you might as well just pour it straight in my brain. Hans, I have seen you knock back some cocktails at my house. Like you don't, people who are listening, you have no idea when we're all sitting and sipping a cocktail, he takes the glass, pours it down, down his gullet esophageal tube pouch and just moves on it's you drink my friend well but then i'm a funny guy after that and then i want to take a really long nap but <laughs> uh, but i you know you know me on the sciencey side i feel like we always have to kind of define our terms because there's so many like malt liquory uh you know hard seltzery things out there but what we are discussing today is beer right and beer is a it's basically essentially a fermented beverage uh that's made with water grains sugar yeast and if that combination of, of ingredients sounds vaguely familiar to you, it's essentially bread. That's probably right. why we love it right. so much. It's a glass of liquid bubbly bread. Uh, where can you go wrong? Right. Can I can I jump in here? Of course. Uh, I'm, I, this isn't one of my points, but one of the things I learned in doing this is during Prohibition, some of these breweries became bakeries. Yeah, they had the same. Through baker, through, in order to make it through Prohibition because they the same the ingredients. Just same like ingredients. Said. Exactly. It makes sense, right? It's uh, it's basically a different process, but you're using it's almost like uh, having the Legos and building a different uh, kit from the same Legos. Right. They're making a different thing. So. Right. hundred uh, percent. And and the great thing, too, and I don't go too much into this, but, you know, when during people that are fasting during Lent. Um, that aren't supposed to be eating certain foods, they kind of skirted around that by drinking those foods in the form of um, of these double box and triple box, which are essentially, again, these dark, yeasty, liquid bread. So, And I kind of feel like if you were a deity, you would be omnipotent enough to know that somebody was trying to pull one over on you. You know, does that really, are you really getting away with something if you're drinking the bread instead of eating the bread? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's a theology discussion we can have off air. I don't want to it get It depends. So like the, the stupid deities, they're, they, yeah. they can sneak it right past them. They don't they're, know. A, they're a dime a dozen. So, uh, But so, you know, beer has been a part of our human existence. Um, really, as far as we've gone back is in archaeology. We have evidence of humans consuming beer back over 7,000 years. Uh, the early evidence that we have, and honestly, if you're looking for forensic evidence of beer, it's tough because we, we drank the stuff, right? It's not like we just left an extra six-pack laying around. If there's a beer around, we're going to drink it. So there's not a lot of evidence, but there, there has been evidence of, uh, of beer and beer vessels found in a cave in Mesopotamia, which is current-day Iraq. Uh, but it seems like there's sort of a convergence of this technology, if you want to call it that, uh, of brewing all over the world around the same time. It's in Asia, it's in Africa. So brewing kind of is one of these, you know, convergent evolution kind of things popping up all over. And so, as we said, we could spend the rest of our lives talking about just beer as a focus. So we're, we're going to really shift and talk about German beer. And even though they might not have invented it, for my money, the Germans are the ones who helped perfect the process and they're still doing that today. It's a long time-honored tradition. So Germany has the oldest and longest continuously brewing 
uh, brewery in the world. And here's that word we were talking about earlier. It is Weinstefan is the name of the brewery. And it was a uh, Benedictine Abbey in Freising, Germany. And it was established in the year 725, which is kind of crazy when you think about a calendar. 725 yeah. is way back there. Uh, so they've been brewing beer in this particular brewery then nonstop since the year 1040. So this is the longest run of any brewery since 1040. This brewery has been going. Have you been and there? I have not been to the brewery. I've had that beer many a time. Wouldn't uh, but, you love to go to? Why haven't you been to the brewery? Is it well, too far? Wouldn't no, because I'd hey, love to go to that. Let's do it. Let's put together maybe in 2022. Let's put together a field trip, and we'll invite some of our uh, all three of our listeners uh, to come along. <laughs> we can, table, we yeah. Can, yeah, we can take a Honda. Yeah, well, a table for four, please. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, just I think that would be a, an amazing field trip. Now, I, I have been to the oldest restaurant in Europe, which is in Salzburg, Austria, which is also about a thousand years old. I mean, which is just amazing. Um, and and some their bread the, is so stale. Oh, yeah. And some of the waiters, I think, are that old as well. But but anyway, it is it absolutely it, it is amazing when you are in Europe. And I was just recently in, in Germany with my daughter, Ella, visiting family. Um, and you walk by and you see a restaurant that says established in 1310 or in, you know, 1412 or, you know, while Columbus was over here pretending to right. uh, discover stuff, they were, you know, raising a pint back uh, back in the old country. So so modern day Germany. There are more than 1,300 breweries that brew nearly 6,000 different varieties of beer, uh, which is impressive given that the entire country of Germany is about the size of the state of Georgia. So it's not a huge country. That's a lot of breweries and a lot of different types of beer. And this sort of serious passion about beer that the Germans have even has its own word because Germans, as you know, love to have uh, words for very specific things. One of my favorite being schadenfreude. You know schadenfreude, don't you? The the fact that a culture would come up for a word (laughs) for the joy that you get from someone else's failure. (laughs) I mean, I think that's brilliant. Um, So, but this, this particular word that basically means beer seriousness is called beer ernst. Uh, you oh, heard of yeah. doing something yeah. in Ernst or in Ernest yeah. or whatever. Uh-huh. So Ernst is that root word. So beer Ernst is the uh, is that word. Uh, and and speaking of specific words, the beer the, the beer drinking Germans even have their own word for people who sit down to go pee. Uh, so if you are someone that sits <laughs> down to urinate, you yeah. are called a sitzpinkeln. <laughs> And a sitz pinkeln is somewhat of an insult. Now, I have to admit, in the middle of the night, I wake up to go pee. I am a sitz pinkeln. Uh, but apparently, if you call someone that, it means they're a bit of a wuss or a bit of a, you know, the, the little feather weight there. But I love that. Um, and then one more specific German word that you might have heard of, and that is the Reinheitsgebot. And the Reinheitsgebot uh, literally means the like the purity decree or the purity law. Right. And I, you know, honestly, as much as I grew up with German beer, it really became part of my vernacular with the Sam Adams, like the Sam Adams commercials that came up in the 90s. We're always talking about brewed with strict accordance with the German Reinheitsgebot. Um, So it's it's something that has grown beyond the, the borders of Germany. But this purity law was introduced in 1516 by Duke Wilhelm IV of Bavaria. And this is before Bavaria became a part of the German state. You know, sort of still Germanic people, but it was its own uh, its own land. And this decree basically says that only hops, barley, water, and yeast are allowed in German beer. So you got four right. ingredients, and right. 
if you think about, you know, it's like if you have four colors, the, the palette that you can create with just four colors, the variety and diversity and depth of flavor that you can get from those four ingredients to me is outstanding. It's astonishing. You're right. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot with a little. So mm-hmm. it kind of feels like some of those crazy um, uh, challenge beers. Oh yeah. And... Well, see, but that gets that gets crazy. But we think back to where you and I met on the on the set of the Next Food Network Star. That was kind of what our challenges were. Look, here's six ingredients makes five thousand uh, you know recipes starting now. Um, we had some of those crazy moments. Yeah. Well, but, that's why I had Dan. Oh, well, that's true. I didn't have that uh, that luxury. <laughs> but even someone as brilliant as Dan Smith did not come up with beer. Uh, <laughs> although the Italians might might claim claim that they're good with it. So, uh, but um, so the, the great thing about this German purity law is it helped establish Germany kind of as the world capital of beer, right? So that set this standard to which everyone else tried to emulate around the world. They might not call it the same thing, but they tried to get this purity. Now that same purity law has been a bit of a handcuff because while the the world is experiencing this renaissance in beer right there's so many things that have like orange peel and cardamom and ginger and cloves they're all of these sort of craft beers the world is very interested in in that and so for a time the shift was away from german beers because they were too old-fashioned you know they were too uh, right. predictable um, right. But I think we're swinging back the other way. I think now that we've hit, you mentioned chocolate beers. There's so many different crazy flavors of beer that people are really craving what they know of as beer. So there's a swing back oh in my that gosh. direction. Absolutely. When we had Hardy Restaurant, we did all it was all of the food was American. It was throwback American foods, the classics that you knew, but kind of updated. And I did that with the wine list, was an all USA wine list. I worked really hard to, you remember? Oh, I do. In fact, we were doing that one um, uh, dessert wine from Georgia yep. near was, you. Yeah, which Persimmon, was Persimmon Creek, was that what it was yeah, called? Yeah. Something. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. It was lovely. It was like a glass of honey. Mm-hmm. But anyway, with the beers, I wanted one of those classic German old beers. And I, I was testing out old style Schlitz and Pabst Blue Ribbon to exactly find out what you were talking about, which of those will kind of fill in that spot for a Sunday afternoon, you know, chicken wing kind of day. And I went with Schlitz, actually. They, they've updated their recipe, uh, I think, in the 90s. I think they uh, kind of were trying to go back to the older recipe. But I also love the how they're going back to original bottling and original labels. And that there's just something so comforting in that. But anyway, it's when you think of those beers that you're talking about, it's like your dad's beer, 100%. your dad's lager after cutting the grass on a Saturday. It, you, what you just said to me, that is the most rewarding, refreshing thing to know that I have an ice cold beer waiting for me at the end of the yard at work is is just divine that you After you don't have to pay me. those damn figs oh yeah 100 percent. i've got uh, i got a freezer full of them right now so fighting uh, off the turkey yep i'm still i'm just i can't the the uh the third grader in me just wants to make some kind of joke about you saying schlitz multiple times but uh i'm gonna refrain from making because <laughs> i'm gonna talk about it more so oh, good, good, go. good. all right schlitz are on tap here um no, so the, the last kind of, you know, crazy German fact of all the Germany Germanist facts out there, there is a German beer police squad, which I just absolutely love. It reminds me of the church police sketch from Monty Python, but there is an actual beer police squad. And forgive my my German. This is such a long thing. I'm going to try this. It's called the Verein gegen Betrügerischen Einschenken, which translates to the Association Against Fraudulent Pouring. 
um, just stop it right now. What? Just stop. <laughs> I don't mean like literally stop it. I mean, stop this crap that you're talking right now. No. It's called what? It it's is called what? You want the English or the German again? No, it's a the German. Everybody wants the okay, German gotcha. again. Gotcha. The Verein Einschenken. Again, the Association Against Fraudulent Pouring. So this was established in 1899, which is relatively recent in the in the time, you know, the lifespan of beer. But essentially, it's preventing customers from getting ripped off. So this is like quality beer control. They have currently 4,000 members, including one that's a former mayor. Uh, oh, 4,001, sign oh, me yeah. up. I, uh, me too. Yeah, I'm going to be, uh, I want like a, a a Catholic nun, like ruler to go and pop people on the back of the hand if they <laughs> if they mispour their beer. Um, so what they do is they basically shark at these festivals and beer gardens, and they're looking for vendors who pour, who, when they do a beer pour, the beer, the actual beer part, not the foam, is supposed to reach that, what they call the mass, which is that that little line on the glass, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if the beer dips below that, or the foam hits that point and not the, you know, the actual beer, uh, then they are in violation and they have to do a report. They'll make them pour it out and, and get them another one. Oh, I love them. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's a paid uh, position, but I would be happy to volunteer uh, for that as well. Maybe we can be like the uh, correspondence, um, the overseas international correspondence for <laughs> for the Verein gegen Betrugerschen Einschenken. Maybe we can get a better acronym for that. And now the podcast went long. <laughs> uh, it, it did, but so no, listen. But no, I, no, I mean just because of saying the name. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I said the name three times and suddenly it was a two-hour podcast. God, I'm out of breath and I'm out of liquor. I need a beer. So uh, but I did have an authentic captured in the wild German uh, that I had wrangled for this podcast. And it was going to be a big surprise. So my surprise is that there's no surprise today. Uh, but uh, my cousin Toby, who is by my calculations, a beer expert, because I've seen him drink more German beer than any human alive. And I've had quite a few with with Toby, uh, but he travels quite a bit. And he is a bit of a, of a armchair quarterback expert on German beers. And so he's not able to join us today because he is traveling. He's visiting at the North Sea. Uh, but he is going to be a bit of our uh, beer correspondent. And uh, on social media, he will post his top five current beers and why they're his current beers. And uh, I, I asked him, though, if he's going to be our correspondent, he has to have three of each. He has to have one for Steve, one for Hans and one for Toby. Um, so and then Toby he's going to run the Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so look, look for that coming up on tap, uh, pun intended, and he will uh, he'll be our correspondent. So there's a, a, a bit of a, you know, a look at the craziness and, and dedication and seriousness of German beer. And at some point, just like my dad, that stuff came to the States. Right. And well, yes, it did. And it, as you said, this is just a huge topic. So it was very kind of tricky to really hone in on something specific. So as we talk about our things today, you absolutely can email us and say, but you forgot to talk about, and you know what? We did, yep. but I want you to be able to like put those groceries away that you have in your <laughs> car right now. We don't, so I'm going to try to try to focus. So all beer is either an ale or a lager, and that's determined solely by the fermentation style. So um, when the English are in America, they're drinking the ales, and those are fermented with a top fermenting yeast at a warm temperature, and for kind of a relatively short period of time, like three to five weeks. But lagers are fermented with a bottom fermenting yeast at a cold temperature for a longer period, like six to eight weeks. So Bavarian brewers are discovering that their beer continued to ferment while it's being uh, stored in ice caves during the winter, and lager means... Ice cave. No? 
<laughs> to store, to store. It's German, so it's brewed and covered in ice. And lagers, because of that, are are more smooth and mellow, less robust than ale, which is more full-bodied and sweet and fruity. And truth be told, I am a lager guy. Nice. Um, so I wanted to specifically talk about German beer in America because the German brewers are coming into the Midwest. I mean, you know that all of this German beers in uh, Wisconsin, right? Especially Milwaukee is kind of the hub. German beers are arriving in the late 19th century. They're bringing lager and beer gardens. And many historians think that the first lager brewed in kind of a large scale in America was a Bavarian immigrant named John Wagner. Now, they figured that this this was about 1840 in Philadelphia. And they figured that this was happening then because of two reasons. First, the increased number of immigrants are coming from lager drinking parts of the world, but also those faster ships allowed Wagner to bring that more fragile bottom fermenting yeast with him on his voyage to America and have it survive. So then he sells some of that yeast to George Manger or Manger, um, and he was the first guy to produce lager on a commercial scale. And by the mid-1800s, 1850s, lager begins outselling ale. But what I love about that, we were talking about beer and baking. It's kind of like he started, he was selling his starter dough. That's true. Yeah, keep it going. You got to have that that yeast going. I, and I never knew that about it, the yeast surviving across. Because that is, especially back then, that was a long journey. It's not like you right. hop on a plane. Right, exactly. So now we've got all of these German beer barons. And this, I guess, I hadn't really thought about until very, you know, really studying all this. There's um, G. Heilemann, there's uh, Edward uh, Anheuser, Adolphus Busch, Adolf Coors, Valentin Blatz, uh, Jacob and Philip Best, and then Frederick Pabst, who was Philip Best's son-in-law, Frederick Krug, and to Joseph Schlitz. Schlitz was actually Krug's bookkeeper, who, when Krug died, Schlitz took over the business and married his wife. Wow, that's like the that's like a full hand. That's impressive. So, because of these brewers, by the 1880s, Milwaukee is the beer capital of the U.S. And Schlitz and Pabst are both using slogans trying to really connect to Milwaukee. Uh, Schlitz was the beer that made Milwaukee famous, which we all know. Pabst was like with a big swing and miss was Milwaukee beer is famous. Pabst has made it so. I, I yeah. tried to put that on a t-shirt. It went all the way up mm. into the armpit. It was just too wordy. Yeah. So I love that in the in the 1880s, we're drinking Pabst Schlitz and Blatz. <laughs> <laughs> Pabst Schlitz and Blatz, which is like, I think the, uh, uh, it sounds like the lawyers for Willy Wonka. <laughs> Are you being oh. assaulted by vermicious knids? Yep. You being sued by Oompa Loompas, call the law office of Papschlitz and Blatz. <laughs> I think it needs to be Undblatz, Papschlitz and Blatz. Yes, very good. I like that. I like that. But I'm going to focus quickly on three other guys. I'm going to focus on Philip Best, uh, G. Heileman, and Peter Hand. So Philip Best is, he's, he's, Selling beers, he's kind of popular. There's a lot of signs. And I really want to talk about his signage because in the late 1880s, there's this popular but perhaps not accomplished poet named Ella Wheeler Wilcox. Um, she's generally found in books of bad poetry. And she is pissed at Philip Best. And she writes this poem against what he is doing. Also, by the way, uh, you know her because she was mocked by Ted Knight in Caddyshack. Well, that's a deep, that's a deeper reference. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so she was into new thought and spiritualism and apparently teetotaling. So she wrote this 
poem about the lager beer of Philip Best. And she's talking about the signs. They seemed with a twinkling wink to say, are you bound for hell? Then step this way. This is the ticket office of sin. If you think of purchasing, pray, walk in. They seem to be saying, come out of the storm, come into my haven, snug and warm. I will give you warmth from the flowing bowl. All I ask is your purse and soul. And who was Philip Best, you ask? Oh, exclamation point. He was a man whose noble task was the brewing of beer, good beer, first class, that should sparkle and bubble and boil in the glass, should sparkle and flow till drank and then feast like a vampire on brains of men. I think she should have written the advertising because that's brilliant. <laughs> it makes me want a best beer. That's amazing. <laughs> all of that. It's, I don't think she's, I don't think it was heavy handed at all. Wow. I think she was probably a fun lady. Uh, yeah. She was probably a party. Life of the party. So then I want to talk about Gottlieb Heileman. Now, his family, G. G. Heileman, his family was running a brewery in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and a lot of beers from around La Crosse. When he dies in 1878, his wife, Johanna, takes over. And it can be argued that she was the first female head of a brewery in the United States. And she was also one of the first female CEOs in America. And she managed to bring Heilman Brewery into like this important national spot as they developed old style at the turn of the century. So, you know, she's the CEO. She's not, you know, working the line on this brewery in Wisconsin. She's not like she's bottling at Schott's Brewery. You know, it's not like she's a certain character actress in today's episode. Of Stop the strike! Oh, no. Yeah! Oh, Okay. Totally blindsided. In, totally blindsided. In the Broadway musical, The Drowsy Chaperone, I don't expect you to know it. In the Broadway musical, The Drowsy Chaperone, this, this one-time TV brewery worker, she worked in a brewery. She had to go on as a replacement for the role of Mrs. Tottendale, and she couldn't rehearse on stage because there was a stage union strike. Ayatsi was on strike. So all the time that she's rehearsing to get thrown into this role, she's just in like a, a, a studio, right? So her opening night, she's on stage and she's in the middle of this song with a dance partner and this plane comes in and she says, shit, I forgot about the plane. We never practiced the plane because I've never been on the stage. And she says to the guy, what am I supposed to do on the plane? And he says, you have to jump on the wing. And she's like, holy crap, throw me. So he picks her up and he tosses, as she says, my fat butt onto the wing of this airplane. And she credits her wacky physical comedy skills for saving that scene in front of the audience. And her name is? Is this the Laverne and Shirley actress? Yes. Which oh one? Look, you're getting there. You're getting there. Which, which I, one? You have a 50-50 chance. Yeah, but I don't know either of their names. Which means she I played zero. Cindy. She played. Uh, yes, don't, yeah. don't I just give her your first name? She played but, Shirley. And well, her first I, name I, is Cindy. I don't, I still don't know, but I, at least I'm that, around. I still don't know, but I did watch Laverne and Shirley as a kid and I knew they worked at a brewery. So that was a good hint if I whatever, knew who whatever. the actress is. Stop, stop speaking. I'm All the rest of you go to Facebook and come and tell us the name of this. It was her first, maybe only, but her first Broadway appearance in The Drowsy Chaperone. It was her Broadway debut. Name this Laverne and Shirley actress for us. And what a fun show that is. And if anybody ever wants to cast me in The Drowsy Chaperone as the man in the chair, I am, uh, I am available. Uh, listen, right. kudos for that sneak in. I had, I was totally not <laughs> even on my radar. I love that. That was a good job with the, uh, you snuck in the, uh, the trivia today. Good job. So, so Heilman develops old style beer. Now, now I want to talk about old style and its connection to Chicago because it's 
it's so charming. Old style is became widely available in the 1930s and it became Chicago's beer. And Chicagoans have this kind of healthy obsession with old style in particular. And old style connects kind of with Chicago's Chicago's nostalgia of like blue collar dads and grandparents and working class families and unions. But really it's less about the organic growth of that connection and more from a targeted Chicago branding campaign. Because Old Style sponsored the Cubs in 1950 and was the official beer of Wrigley Field for like 60 years. So you've got this iconic ballpark in the middle of this iconic city and you're drinking this beer and the correct connection, you know, is just really solidified. And it's so connected with the Cubs in spite of now that Budweiser is the sponsor, that when the Cubs took the series in 2016, players sprayed each other with champagne and Old Style beer. And people still leave cans of Old Style on Harry Carey's grave. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And that brings me to a quiz, a little quiz, easy quiz. What other food items are left on Harry Carey's grave at the All Saints Cemetery in Des Plaines? Is it A, green apples, B, whole watermelons, or C, seedless cucumbers? What other food items are left on Harry Carey's grave at the All Saints Cemetery? It's not an option, but I would have said cheese only because of the Will Ferrell um, impersonation of Harry Carey, where he said, if the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it? <laughs> it, it the cheese is not one of the choices. Damn it. Um, so I'm going to go for green apples. You are right. In 1991, Harry Carey said, sure, as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And so his family was leaving a couple of apples, and then it became cases of apples. And by the time they won, there's like just hundreds of apples at his grave. It's really sweet. That is nice. So in the 1970s, Old Style begins offering these uh, free signs. They're lit signs to taverns and local bars. They're all over Chicago. They're, um, they put them in uh, kind of small spots, those kind of like single door, brick glass window, like little, you know, down and dirty taverns. Um, there are these rectangular hard plastic hanging signs with the blue shield and that kind of Bavarian font uh, that says old style and there's a space underneath it to customize, you know, you can put cold beer or on tap or the name of the bar. I'll put the pictures on Facebook. I'll put some pictures out there and on Instagram, but there's blogs and sites dedicated to the old style bars. I mean, they're everywhere. And at the same time, Budweiser and around the, the, the mid seventies, Budweiser went on strike. And because Chicagoans couldn't get Budweiser as a choice, they were drinking even more old style. During the seventies and eighties, they installed around 2000 signs. I read an interview with a guy who was saying that growing up, I thought that this was the Chicago flag. (laughs) Maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. (laughs) So they had uh, commercials. Dennis Farina. Do you remember him? I might have. From Law and Order. He was like, uh, uh, he was actually a police detective at one time in his life. Oh, yeah, I knew. Mobsters and detectives. I know you're talking about. So he was a first generation Italian Chicagoan. And there's this string of old style commercials where he was looking out for people that were imposters from New York or LA coming to Chicago, trying to take our old style. And he'd like quiz them. And if they said like Lakeshore Drive wrong, he'd throw the bums out of the bar. And the tagline was, it's our great beer and they can't have it. So Chicago. I've never had old style, which I'm embarrassed to say, but I need to try it. Oh, well, speaking of which, I have one and I am going to open it right now because I thought, should I have a glass of water today or please hold. So yeah, I've got the iconic old style in a can. I was hoping that was going to explode. You like that? Oh, you bastard! No, everybody was hoping for that beautiful sound. Now you talked about your dad. One of the my memories of my dad is he had these glasses when I was a kid, 
uh, there are these tall pilsners, Hans, you see, I have one now, a tall pils pilsner with the gold leaves on them. I'm jealous. All right, now don't tell the police, but because I'm trying to do this in this little studio, I do not have that one inch of uh, foam on the top. But that was a terrible pour. I know it was, but cheers. <laughs> um, my favorite advertising gimmick that they did, though, was at the La Crosse, Wisconsin plant. So they built six 54-foot tall storage tanks, and the beer is in these storage tanks, right? And then they paint the cans, they paint them to make them look like cans of old style. And it is the world's largest six-pack. It is on one of those roadside attraction things. Uh, there's a sign in front that says it would fill over 7 million 12-ounce cans, which would provide one person a six-pack a day for 3,351 years. Wow, sign me up. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's now covered with their lacrosse brand beer, it's, which is wallpapered on, not hand-painted and, you know, whatever. It's lame. <laughs> but before they were finally purchased by Pabst, they were branching out into uh, malt liquor, called 45, and... I thought this was fascinating. Mineral water. They were doing LaCroix. Oh. So that fancy, fancy LaCroix water, I always think of it as fancy, is actually Jay Heilman Brewing just trying to figure out another thing to do. LaCroix, which you, I always thought was French, is LaCrosse, Wisconsin. Wow. Sneaky yep. bastards. No idea. So the last one I want to mention, this, this is really interesting. There's a, uh, another Prussian immigrant named Peter Hand. He opened a brewery that was actually in Chicago versus in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin. So he built that in around the 1890s. Um, and it stayed around until the mid-60s when it was purchased and renamed Meisterbrau. Do you remember Meisterbrau? I do. So a couple of years after that, a biochemist from Rheingold comes to Meisterbrau with a formula uh, for a diet beer that he had called Gablinger's Diet Beer. And he formulated it with reduced carbs and calories by removing the starch, and it flopped. But they took it over. The formula became Meisterbrau Light in the late 1960s. In the 70s, Meisterbrau sold all its labels to Miller. They take Meisterbrau Light and they name it, do you know? I don't. Miller Light. Oh, well, of course, Miller Light. Miller of course Light I is actually Meisterbrau. Well, it's a much better name than Gablinger's Diet Beer. I think I, <laughs> I'm, I would be proud to drink a light beer if I'm drinking Gablinger's Diet Beer. I'd feel a bit like I'd feel like a Sitzpinkeln. <laughs> that was very well brought together. So you may have seen, you know, Miller refer to itself as, you know, you we we are the original light beer. But in fact, Miller not only didn't invent light beer, they didn't even invent Miller Light. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> So, as I was saying before, some of these legacy beers are trying to recapture the original recipes, and I just love that. But that's what I have to say about those three fun little German brewers, and I am now going to sip this uh, delightful beer out of this beautiful glass. I'll have to put a picture of this on Facebook later. It's a great glass. No, you should, and it's, uh, it is, I love the fact that you're drinking that from a glass that means something, and, and I, I'm a firm believer that you don't put those things in a cabinet and you forget about them. You use them. Oh, all be, the time. Yeah, to me, there's nothing that's like reserved for special people. You're not promised tomorrow. And I don't want to sound like Mr. Doom and Gloom, but use the stuff. And if it has a connection and it means something and you're, you're proud of it and you enjoy it, use it. So what do we say? Prost? Prost. Yeah. You and don't I, have anything. You know, I, but I, I love, I do have a, have a cold cup of coffee, um, but I, that feels like blasphemy at this point. Um, but I love all the traditions too. And every, you know, whether it's salute or prost or cheers, I think that's great too, that that 
that culture of raising a glass uh, and looking each other in the eye, right? I mean, that's the thing too. In Germany, when you raise that glass, you have to look each other in the eye and to not do so is basically considered an insult. I mean, so it, it is that connection. It's that camaraderie. It is such a part of the culture. Um, love it. Love it. Love well, it. Well, look me in the eye and give me a recipe. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. Oh, are we there already? All right. Uh, listen, so beer, again, it is liquid food. And uh, I could cheat and just say, there, open open a glass and, uh, uh, you know, insert straw. No, you wouldn't drink from the straw. But, uh, but I do love beer as sort of this poaching liquid. Like, it, whether there, there are beer poached shrimp and there are, of course, um, sausages. And that's, that is one of my favorites. But I love, me being from Georgia, I love the sweetness of a Vidalia onion. Now, um, Vidalia, if you're not familiar- Hunts. Haunts. Yeah. Do you remember the Vidalia Onion Food Network star? Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. You, I do, you yeah. were talking, you were doing your Vidalia onion spiel just as you are now, and you said they're so sweet, and you took a bite out of it and you started to choke and you said, and this is not a Vidalia. <laughs> uh you know, I'm, I had I had completely forgotten about that. But yes, I I should have put two and two together. We were in Manhattan in what, February? It was cold. Uh, and that is not the season for Vidalia onions. <laughs> and and I remember that challenge. We were supposed to be reading the teleprompter, making eye contact with the camera and still, you know, trying to be engaging. And I was reading the words and I thought, OK, I'm going to I'm going to take a bite because what the thing said is they have more sugar content than an apple. Uh, and so you can eat them just like an apple. So I, I basically took a bite of one and then realized that I'd bitten into a small slice <laughs> of hell. Uh, I mean, it was pure sulfur and heat. And I mean, I felt it come out of my nose, my ears and my eyes started watering. And I just you're exactly right. I said, this is not a Vidalia onion. Um, I forgot about that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Um, but I, I do love the sweetness of Vidalia onion, and I won't go through the whole spiel other than to say it is a great sweet onion. And there are others out there. There's the Walla Walla and the, there's a Hawaii has a, has a golden, uh, sweet golden. So the idea really is sort of a sweet white or yellow onion that you are kind of sauteing down a little salt, a little butter or olive oil. And you want to get just a little bit of caramelization, put in your raw bratwurst, like good bratwurst, not that weird pink stuff. Uh, I mean, a true German, sort of a white or beige color bratwurst. Uh, and then we're going to poach, take take one can of good German beer. And for this, I like to use a dark beer, right? So like a Dunkel. Uh, so it's got that sort of dark, ambery sweetness to it. And you essentially are poaching, so you're just barely at a boil with a lid on top, poaching these sausages. If you cook it too fast, they'll split. Uh, but what you want to do is once the sausages are basically fully cooked, you remove the lid, let some of that beer evaporate. And in the recipe, I put two cans of beer because you have to have one for the chef, for the cook has to have a beer oh, to drink. See. Oh, that's why you're my buddy. Yeah. So I got one to drink and one, but essentially it is such an easy dish. It's just sweet onions, beer, uh, and uh, some good sausages that you would then enjoy the beer, some great German mustard. Uh, and to me, Bob, your uncle, that is, uh, that's the best way to you know, enjoy beer as a, as an ingredient. I love that. That sounds great. I am. I'm so much enjoying this old style right now. So I thought, you know, last week we uh, did vanilla and I did a beer based cocktail. So that makes it kind of tricky because I didn't realize we we're going to be right back at another beer based cocktail. But I have one for this week. So my beer cocktail this week, I'm going to do a Michelada. There's not a lot of beer cocktails in the idea idea of a michelada always is just so wonderful on a Sunday afternoon. Now, it's weird that we're doing German beers, and I'm suddenly going to go to Cuba 
Well, what are you going to do? That's what we're doing today. <laughs> so this Michelada Cubana, uh, which I think was a, a recipe from one of our waiters, he was of Cuban heritage, uh, Gato. Uh, Gato, and this was his grandfather's recipe, which I just love. So it can be a really cold cerveza. It can be like Bohemia beer is a good one or any other lager beer works well in this because of the the mellowness of it. So like old style Schlitz, those are going to work well when you're blending them into a cocktail. And it's got jalapeno and lime and lemon, but a little orange, which is really fun. And uh, then we put a little tahine around the edge of the glass, which, you know, tahine, man, that, that, that goes a long way. There, there's so many uses for tahine. Well, so it's if, Michelada if, Cubana. If there's somebody that doesn't know what tahine is, and I know there are, explain tahine, because it is a great little thing to have in your in your. Well, you got it. You just started. Yeah. So it's essentially like a spice blend, right? I mean, it's a, yeah. you, you find it in the sort of Latino section of a grocery store, or, you know, it used to be, you'd have to go and find a little bodega or someplace that was an almost strictly Latino store. T-A-J-I-N. Um, yeah, exactly right. And it is so, it's, it's spicy, but it's not like knock you down kind of spicy. You know, it's not offensive. It's not overpowering. It's the right amount of sort of heat and sweet and salt. And it's just a, it's yeah, a great. So it makes a great rimming salt, great yep. rimming spice because of that. Tahina is a lot of uses. Oh, tahina is what, if you're in Mexico, they would often just put that right onto the fruit that they're selling in the street. You yep. know, like the cucumber or melon, just yeah, mango and some lime and mango. Yep. Oh, yep. Yum, that yep. spicy sweet that we love so. We'll, uh, we'll put a picture of that up too, because I think that's something that probably if you're not familiar, you would walk by that a hundred times and not give it a second thought. But if you pick it up, it's going to be a go-to for a lot of fun things. I mean, again, like you said, even on popcorn, it's fantastic on popcorn. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you. All right, so I have to share a joke that my dad absolutely loved because people would always ask him about, you know, the difference between German beer and American beer. And he would say, you know, American beer is a lot like making love in a canoe. It's effing close to water. Did he say effing? No, he didn't say effing. It was, he, uh, are you saying effing because your mom's friends are listening? I know my mom's friends are listening. My mom <laughs> wouldn't be so offended because she was, in fact, married to my father. Uh, <laughs> You should have had me say it that way. That way they can be mad at me instead of you. There you are. Look, next time you, you're going to tell the joke. And exactly. I can blame that filthy <laughs> mouth, filthy mouth, Chicago guy, you know, British, whatever. So, uh, all right. So I didn't do I didn't tell you what last week's stump the straight guy was. We sang vanilla ice cream in the oh, vanilla yeah. show based on a 1937 Hungarian play called The Parfumery. Uh, and it was She Loves Me. And you didn't get it in spite of me singing the song. She loves me. And Gail Gann didn't get it either. So you did a double stump, which makes me feel slightly better. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a little tip on Gail Gann. When you go to see a Broadway show with her, she sings along. So you want to sit in a, in a different aisle. <laughs> so if you like these recipes, if you if you like us, heck, if you want the recipes, go and get them on our website, which is butidigestpodcast.com. If you want to email us about all the stuff we forgot, yes, I know it's not all in there. God damn it. Butidigestpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sorry, I swore Hounce's mother's friends. If you want to visit us on Twitter and Facebook and see the tahine and me drinking this old style and you are so freaking jealous, go to at butidigestpod, Instagram butidigestpodcast. And special thanks to our web designer, Hewitt Rabel, to our editor, Natalie DeChico. Special music by Corey Goodrich. And our theme music is by Brian Reyes. And 
I, I want to give a shout out to our Facebook. I mean, I, I, we, of course, we use all the socials, right? The, the Twitter, the Facebook or whatever. But we are just like a just a tiny bit away from having a thousand uh, people in our But I Digest community. So, number one, thank you to all 900 whatever people of you that have decided to come along on this crazy journey with us. I love the feedback, the interaction, the community, the fellowship, the culture. Uh, it has it surprised me how engaging that people are with this kind of material. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. So well, uh, we also lost three three subscribers because of your filthy mouth. Are we done here? <laughs> we are done. I loved it. Post. <laughs>